All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome. Just want to say so glad you're here. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2, this morning. So uh, I'd love for you guys to turn there. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one because we'd, we'd love for you to follow along with us. But we're in Acts, chapter 2. Let me just kind of catch up to speed in case you're new, in case this is your first time or you've been with us. But um, we, before Christmas Eve, we're going over our four values as a church. We took a break, obviously, for Christmas Eve to celebrate and remember how God entered history. Last week, we had, we had a guest speaker come and just kind of speak over our church for 2018. This next week, this week and next week, we're going to finish up our last two values as a church. And here's what that means. These are four values that we want to fight for. These are four things we want to be known for. You know, when we gather together, I don't know if you ever wonder, like, why do people do this? Before you're a Christian, maybe, or even now as a Christian, you might wonder, like, why do Christians do this? Why do we gather together? Why do we come together weekly or throughout the week? What's the point of this? What's the point of the church? What's my role in the church? Do I have a role in the church? And so in a sense, this is kind of like our ecclesiology. And when I say ecclesiology, that just means this is how we're going to do church. This is what we want to be about. This is what we want to focus on. And so our first value a few weeks ago, remember we talked about how we elevate Jesus, meaning we're all about Jesus. We want to focus on Jesus, talk about Jesus, look to Jesus. We believe the Bible is 66 books, but it's about one person, that's Jesus. And so we always want to go back to Jesus however we can. Everything stems from him. And then we talked about the, the week before that, we equip believers, simply meaning we want to be a community that's all about God's word. We, we believe that my thoughts, my opinions aren't that great, and God's word is way great. So we want to go through books of the Bible. We want to go through his word. We want him to speak to us. And we believe this is the best way to make disciples of Jesus, as he told us to, is to go through his word, to teach the things that he commanded. And so we're all about his word. Now this week, we're going to be talking about community. And I, I'm, I'm excited for this week. I've been, I've been looking forward to this week. And what does that mean, community? And we'll, we'll look at that. And then next week, we're going to talk about mission. And these last two really go together of we experience life together, that's community, and then the next part would be mission, and they go hand in hand. So let's really quick just talk about community, we'll read our text, we'll pray, but so community, even the idea that word community kind of can be just like this vain word we throw around a lot, but think of community as common unity, and that is the idea. Community just means we have a common unity. We share a lot of things in common, and I've been really looking forward to talking about this because for us in this room, regardless of your, your age or your race or your gender or your social status or your economics, we are all one in Christ. We share a common God, a common Savior, a common problem. And so we have so much more in common. We have way more in common than what divides us. And the church is so unique. where all these different people from different backgrounds and experience can come together and we're going to value and fight for the same person and the same things. And so I'm excited to talk about community in that sense and, and in a kind of in a way that we'll put it up. If you want to put like the, we have like different definitions. Community for us is how we're designed. So every week we look at, we are created to, to lift up Jesus. We're created to worship God. That's why we exist. We're created by him and for him. Uh, our theology, last week we talked about the word of God being who we're about. We're all about his word and the person in the word. And for us in community, we experience life together. This is our community. This is how we were designed. We were literally designed for community. That we were not designed to be alone or isolated or removed or do church alone in my house with no one around. Like, that is not how we were made. And so we're excited to talk about this and go over this more in depth because when the gospel transforms you and you, you have tasted and seen the Lord is good and your eyes wake up to who Jesus is and the person and work of the Holy Spirit, when all of that happens, it also changes how we relate to each other. There's a guy named J.D. Greer. He wrote this book called Gospel. That's the title of the book. Great title. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote this and said this. He said, the gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. Once you've really experienced the gospel, it's going to change how you and I now relate to each other. I remember when I first really got saved around 16, 17 years old, and I really believe the gospel just kind of penetrated my heart. The first things I began to notice was the people I really just despised and really hated I started praying for, and I started, I started seeing a change in my love for them and towards them, and people I never thought I could even be in the same room as, I was praying for them at night that God would bless them. The first thing I noticed is that my relationships with other people began to change. And my point is, when you've tasted and seen God is good, it's not just between you and God, it's going to affect a lot of other people around you. And so, again, I've been looking forward to, to going over this with you, to talk about community, to fight for community, because we want this to be in our DNA. Because here's for us. We so believe in community. Again, we don't have a midweek service. We want to have throughout the week little gatherings of people where we can now take what we've heard on the weekend and apply it together and live it out together and hold each other accountable to that. And so this will be from the very beginning of our DNA. So we want to talk about large community, 
Like, what are we going to fight for as a larger community, and what are we going to fight for in smaller communities throughout our week, in our homes, at Starbucks, wherever? How are we going to live that out together? So I'm excited to go over this. Let's read Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses, verse 40 through 47. But Acts chapter 2, verse 40, let me kind of set this up for you in Acts 2. If you guys remember, in Acts chapter 2, the first few verses, the disciples were actually gathered together with many men, many women, they're praying. And as they're praying, Jesus, remember, he, he ascended into heaven. He promised them the Holy Spirit would come. So they're praying. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. I love that they speak in tongues of men and of angels. And it's a mind-blowing moment where people, this was during the Feast of Pentecost. So there's a lot of people. Imagine a big party, a big festival. And these guys are speaking in these tongues. And people hear them going, you don't speak my language, but you speak my language. And then some people said, oh, it's, they're drunk. And Peter, remember, he begins his message, and I love, it's probably the best way to begin his me- a message ever. He's like, hey, it's 9 a.m., we're not drunk. Maybe it's 11 a.m., but that's all Peter, he goes, hey, it's 9 a.m., we're not drunk. And then he shares this powerful message of the gospel, look at verse 40. It says, and Peter speaks, it says, with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And I just want to point this out. They're added to them. They weren't just saved. They're added to the church. They're part of the church now. Not just they're saved, which is part of it, but the idea of being saved now is you're added to something. You're added to the family of God. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Before we pray, verse 46 and 47. It says they gathered together continually, one accord, in the temple and house to house. There's this idea in scriptures of gathering together in a large assembly and a small assemblies. And both are biblical. And both must be something that we emphasize. Sometimes you can put too much of an emphasis on the large gathering and a small emphasis on the small gatherings, or put a large emphasis on the small gatherings and neglect, neglect the large gathering. There's something about the temple when you have many people from all sorts of backgrounds coming, singing, praising, worshiping, praying together, all different kinds of backgrounds. It's beautiful. There's something about, I might not know, you might not know everyone's name ever in a room, but we all know the person who does know everyone's name in the room. And we're worshiping him together, and that's a beautiful thing. And then there's house to house. And then there's the idea of now let's take what we heard in the temple and let's go house to house. And let's live it out. And let's express it and let's do it. And that is our hope. See, if I could just simply put it, our goal, my hope would be anyone who would call this place their home would be in a meaningful relationship. And meaning for us, it's this. We do try to provide groups, not that groups will always be perfect, not that they'll always be meaningful as best as we can, but we try to create an atmosphere where people can intentionally grow together and mature together. Because I believe when we are together, applying the word together, we're going to see growth and health like the church that we haven't seen before. So we want to get everyone, our desire is that we'd get everyone to be in a group so they can do this together. That's part of our hope and our desire because, again, growth happens in meaningful relationships. And so let's just pray, and let's just go before the Lord and give him this time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time we get just to stop and slow down. And God, you created the church, the called-out assembly. That, God, you saved us from this perverse generation, as Peter said that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, we want more. We want more people to be called out of darkness into light. God, we want to create little communities that will go and reach those who are still in darkness. Lord, I ask that this would not just be about gatherings to focus on ourselves, but to bring the focus to you and to those who still need you. And even for us, God, that we'd press further into the gospel. Lord, that daily we would believe it, that daily we would discover it more and more. So speak to our hearts in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. A guy named Abraham Heschel, a Jewish theologian, said this. He wrote, When I was young, I used to admire intelligent people. As I grow older, I admire kind people. It's interesting how as we get older, values do change. Things we once cared about begin to change. 
you know, let's just be honest. When I was younger, when you were younger, there's the usual suspects of what we valued. We valued people who were just popular. We valued money, success, power, authority, influence. There's all sorts of things we valued. But as we get older, and as I get older, and as you get older, you'll see that the things you once cared about, you don't care about as much. And your, your, your values start to change a little bit. You know, because when you are in crisis and when you are in need, you're not going to care about that, that popular person, that successful person. You really want that compassionate person. You really want that kind person. Because we know that life is a long journey, and having people go through life with you, it helps multiply the joy and helps divide the sorrows. And there's something really powerful about that. So I'm going to ask you, just reflect. Do you have people in your life that can be that compassionate, kind, that ear to listen, that, that, that mouth, that voice to also challenge and push back? Because real community will challenge and will push back. We'll be like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry, and everyone wronged you, and you're the one that's, you know, the victim. No, they'll also they'll push back and, and help you and encourage you and push you towards Jesus more and more. Mate, where can you grow? Like, do you have that? Do I have that? Do we actually have biblical and meaningful community and relationships? Is this something we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis? Where people can look at you and say, I love you, but you're an idiot. Do we have that? Because we need that. And other than your spouse. But we need that from our spouse, too, right? But we need that, though. We need it in both ways from, from fellow men. But we need people to say, I love you so much, but this behavior is going to kill you. I love you so much, but if you continue in this, you're going to ruin your life and those around you. We need that. This is what the Bible talks about. It talks about community or fellowship or these deep relationships. That's what the focus is on. That's what it's talking about. And I love this, you guys, because we really never know we need this till it's gone. Once it's gone, you go, oh my gosh, I haven't had this. It's like, well, have you pursued it? There's this guy, Cicero, he, he said this great quote. He says, listen to this, friendship improves happiness and abates misery by the doubling of our joy and the dividing of our grief. Really think about that. When you have a friend and you have, like, think about if you have good news, but you have no one to tell the good news to. Like, you have really good news, you're like, I can't tell anyone. Like, when you have someone to tell, it doubles that joy. When you look at them in the eyes, and they're going, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that happened. They, they jump and celebrate with you. It doubles your joy. And also when you're going through trials or difficulties or, or whatever it might be, and you have someone to look to and say, this is really hard, and they're like, well, I'm here to bear it with you. It doubles our joy, and it divides our difficulties. Who wants that, right? We want that. We need that. We are designed for that. We are created for that. You know, I think about really quick, because we, when we talk about community, that word can be like a Christian word sometimes, or it's like a buzzword in the church, but let's just really talk about that a little bit. Like, we, we do have little communities. We do have little groups. I mean, throughout life, since childhood, like even my son now develops little friendship groups with people over the most random things. And those things be kind of change. Like what we value, what we fight for, what we like just begin to change. But think about the communities you've been a part of. A sports team, maybe it's like an academic thing or a business thing or a recreational thing. Like you've had little pockets of community that we love and value. Some are good, some are not so good. I think back to my, my, one of my favorite little communities, little groups that I had was when I was 16. I was a part of a, a travel basketball team. One of the best, like, two years of my life. For two years, played basketball with these guys from Inglewood, Compton, and just that area. I was the only little kid, white kid from Calvary, only white kid on the team. I'm going to play basketball. They all called me Luke because they didn't know my real name. Uh, every, everyone in the NBA was named Luke. Luke Ridenour, Luke Jackson, Luke Walton during that time. So, like, hey, Luke. And I'm like, hey. So, I respond. And I, I loved it. We drove to Vegas. We had our travel tournaments. There were so many things we did. I absolutely loved it. Favorite community. One of them, they'd have tattoos of their friends who passed away. And he's like, hey, see this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's a friend who passed away. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, I would die for you. I'm like, oh, gosh, so intense. And they slaps my butt. Get in the game. I'm like, ah. You know, I love that community. I absolutely loved that community. There's such a bond there, right? There's such a friendship there. But it was a bound around basketball. That our, our friendship bonded around a sport. And here we are, you know, 15 years later, and I don't, I don't stay in t- contact with them because it was great for a period of time, but it didn't last. And also think about other communities that weren't so good. We've been a part of communities that didn't benefit us that didn't grow us, didn't help us. We have friends we know who love Jesus and walk with Jesus, but they get put in maybe the wrong community, and you go, where are they now? Like, what happened to them? They were walking with Jesus, and they go, oh, man, they're in that wrong community. They're part of the wrong group. You know, it's sad. I shared this with our team before, but it's crazy to think that hell's, hell's angels can be more welcoming, more inviting than Christian churches sometimes. It's like sad. It's so mind-blowing. You know, sociologists will do studies of gangs, how gangs form in L.A. and New York, and they talk about how do gangs form, and they, c- they come up with this one conclusion. They say gangs form, and people believe in the craziest things. will do the craziest things to be a part of these gangs because they create a home environment or family environment. And they'll do whatever they take to need to be, they'll do whatever it takes to be in that home environment or family environment. 
and they create more of a welcoming, loving, in a sense, embracing, you're part of us, you're part of this, than so often than the church does. I mean, we all know, maybe we've been that person who we get hurt or burnt by the church, we walk through that, we've all seen and expressed that, and how do we, how do we as the church say, this, this has to change? And also, how do we own and admit that, listen, we will also hurt, and we'll continue to hurt. I'll be the first person to hurt, and I have to be quick to repent and quick to ask for forgiveness. You're going to have to be quick to forgive, and that's going to be vice versa. That not just, oh, this person hurt me, I'm out of here. Because you can't do that in marriage, you can't do that at work, you can't do that in life. I'm, I don't like this person this week, I'm bad, I'm out of this place. So how do we say, I'm going to love and serve this community, I'm going to love and serve this family because this is family. And my brother and sister, maybe they don't always get along, they're family, and I'll be with them for a long time. Because they're blood, and that's what the church is supposed to be, and more so. Because around the church, we have a greater bond than even blood. We have a blood that bonds us from Jesus Christ. We have a blood that actually sets all of us free. We have a greater blood. And that's what we're talking about. We see the church, this community, being formed together. And so here's just a few thoughts today. Based off this text, based off what we're talking about, for, for us, I want to look at community in, in three different ways. And here's the first one. Number one, if you are taking note, we were created for community. We were created for community. Meaning, God designed us this way. This is how he created us. And it's funny, because even if you're an introvert, you find other introverts to get like bi- bi- to bond with, and you form some sort of community, like, oh, we hate the man, and that you form a community about, against the man. Like, everyone wants to create little communities. And so we're, we're obsessed with this. We're designed for this. We're created for this. And what we've done, sadly, I think today, more so than ever, in our desire to be so connected, obviously, we become disconnected. Because we have a false sense of community from social media, Right? Like, and I'm not going to down it and say it's bad. I think social media is neutral. I think it can be used well for the glory of God. I think it cannot be used well. Again, social media is not the issue. It's more neutral. But our heart is the issue. And we'll take something like social media, and we'll find our identity in it. We'll find our community in it. And it's just shallow in its vein. And it's sad. People now, you can pay a lot of money for people to retweet you or to like your photos. And people will do this because they just want to have that, that attention they want to have that focus, that friendship in, in, a, in a shallow way. You know, think about this. We, we all know this. It's funny when we do this, and I hate this. I do this. But we'll go out to eat, 10 people sitting down, and 9 out of 10 people will be looking down. And you see this glow on their face. There's, like, one person who's like, hey, so are we going to talk, or are you just going to text me? Like, it's, it's awful. Like, we miss out on, like, de- like, people, flesh and blood are in front of our faces, but we'd rather be talking about someone's talking. Like, oh, it's a huge taco on Instagram. Wow. Like, but we miss it. We miss it so often. And so how do we actually go, okay, I want to get back to meaningful relationships. I want to get back to biblical community because we were created for this. And let's just think about this for a second. And I I think this is, here's the, the theology of community. Think about how we worship a God who is one and yet three. Think about how we serve a God who is tri unity. We serve one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Trinity, there was perfect love. There was perfect mercy. There was perfect friendship. And so when God created man, when God created Adam, do you guys remember in the first two chapters of Genesis, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he seems, he's creating things and it's good, it's good. But what's the first negative in the Bible? What's the first negative? Anyone know? It's not good that man should be alone. The first negative thing out of the mouth of God is that it's not, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm not alone. You see, it's interesting to know this, but God made us, yes, for himself and for others. God made us for others. And I know we'll take Genesis 2.18, that verse, it's not good that man should be alone. And we use that for marriage, yes, and that's true, helper, and I think it's very true, but I also think it's second through this idea that God made us in general not to be alone. I think it speaks of community in a greater way. Because Jesus made it clear not everyone will be called to get married. That will not happen for everyone. God made us not be alone. And so we were literally designed this way. That we're, we're made in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, Right? So we're made in the image of God. And so wh- when I say this, when you have a desire to be in community, when you have a desire to be wanted, it's not weakness. Let's just be clear, because sometimes you go, I want friends, and it's probably just weak of me, and it's just, I don't know, like, maybe there's something wrong with me that I feel alone. It's like, no, we were made for that. Like, don't let the enemy throw that in your mind. Like, that's what you and I were made for. It's not good for you to be alone. It's just not. Like, I think there's certain people in life you look at and go, it's definitely not good for them to be alone, right? Like, it's just not good. God made us to be in this community because he made us in his image. And within the Trinity, within God himself, there is this deep relationship and love for each other. Does not Jesus speak of the Father with deep love? Does not the Father speak of Jesus with deep love? Does not speak of the Holy Spirit with deep love and adoration? Is there not this deep community within the Trinity himself? Now I know when I just bring up the Trinity, all of our minds are blown because it's so, so you're like, one God, three, uh, 
But it, it's this beautiful picture of how God made us, that me and my wife get married, we become one, we have a child who came from her, and we're one, and it's three and one. It's crazy. Just I think God tries to get us little tastes and little glimpses of that as best he can, but it's to show this idea that you were made for this, that you were designed for community. And so I say all of this because so often we, we fight against it. Because even though we will say, I want community, do we want it? I think some of us program ourselves to think, I don't need that. Weak people need that. I don't need community groups. I don't need people to keep me accountable because I can keep myself accountable. We all know how dangerous that is. I'll keep myself accountable. Like, that is so dangerous. We all need this, and yet we fight against it so often. See, it's funny. Some of you love me and hate me for this, but I love to do, hey, meet someone new every like, week, right? And you're like, I hate this. Fix my health. Yeah, hey. <laughs> some of you hate that. My hope is that after three or four weeks, you say hi to the same person. You go, hey, this is kind of, it's kind of awkward, right? We say hi to the same person every week. What if you and I were to get coffee after? What if we're to, so maybe, I have a community group on Tuesday nights. What if you join my community group one night? Like, my hope is to actually try to give little moments of time where we can say, you know what? This has got to stop. It's way too shallow. Let's actually get coffee. Like, that's why we, we just try to do little things we can to just try to create that as best we can, even though we'll fail a lot. But how do we, how do we get to that point? So here's what I want to point out really quick, because we will fight against this. You will fight against this. You say, and I say, I want true community, but once I have it, I say I don't want it anymore. So for example, I'll throw this up here. Three things we do when community gets too personal. Three things we do when community gets too personal. Number one, uh, we move away. We move away. We, do, we don't like it. They're asking too many tough questions. It's a commitment. We are the generation that's afraid of commitment. Like, what? You said every week? That's a lot. Like, I, every seven days? <laughs> Hold on. Like, we just, we move away from it. We'll move against it. I think the next thought is we'll move against it. Meaning... People try to hold you accountable, and you go, you don't know me. You don't know my story. How dare you act like you know me? How dare you say this and speak into my life? And yet there's probably no one else that knows you. There's probably no one else that knows the real you. And they've got a taste of it, and they're trying to say, I love you. I'm not trying to come against you. I'm not trying to harm you. But we, what we do is we move against it. We fight it. Not just we flee it, but we fight it. Or lastly, we can move towards it. You, you have someone say some hard things, some loving things, some things they prayed over, they remove that giant plank from their eye before they deal with the speck, and you're like, you have them go through it in the right biblical way, and you say, I, thank you, I need this, and you press into it more. And you say, well, you have an open door to speak into my life, because I know you love me, I know you care for me, and I want to give you that platform in my life. And, and let's be honest, you guys, this does not happen right away. <laughs> By no means, in a meet and greet, we'll be like, yo, tell me your deepest sins, right? Like, that's just not going to happen. It's funny, because there's some in my life who used to always do that. She would <laughs> always ask the most intense questions. Like, you don't even know their name. And you just ask them, who, uh, never mind. It's just awful. Um, but, but I think this does take time. Again, by no means, by no means is this going to happen where it's you immediately, and this is creepy. If you were to walk up to someone after service and be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Let's go get coffee. They're like, you're, you're terrifying me. Like, please go away. It will take time. It will take time, and it will take investment. Because let me say this, it ha- but it has to be more than friendliness. Guys, we, we value friendliness. Like, yes, hi, how are you? How's your day? Like, we should value that. We should care about that. But friendliness does not require loyalty. Friendliness does not require, you know, investment of time, investment of money. You see, true friendship, true community will require investment of time, loyalty, money. It will require lots. And so we say we want it, but do we, want it, do we really want it? Do we really want to give it? You say you want it, like, I want it, but do you want to give it? Because a lot of us go, I want friends, I want community. It's like, well, are you a friend? He who wants a friend must himself be friendly. Like, you, you, gotta, you gotta want, you gotta show it, you gotta express it. But you were created for it. We, it's not good for us to be alone. And I really do think that's just a biblical thought. Hebrews 10, 24, verse 25 says what? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as in the manner of some have already forsaken. Even so much more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Like, how much more should we seek it out? How much more should we say, you know, this world needs Jesus, and the best way to reach them is together. Is that Jesus and all the disciples together. So there must be this idea of we're doing this together. We're doing life together. We're not just saying that we really do want to experience life together so much more than a shallow, I come once a week, and I'll see you maybe in a month. Like, it has to be more than that. It has to be deep and rich, and it's going to take a lot of your time. It's going to take a lot of tears, but also it's the most beautiful thing, and it's so worth it. For those who've had community in the times in your life when it's been dark, you know how valuable this is. And let me just say this, because I, I want to say this in the very beginning. We cannot manufacture community. We will try sometimes in the church, and the groups will be like a way of us, but what we're trying to do is create a space where community can happen. Community cannot be manufactured, it's discovered. So I want to be really clear. We will not always, you might go to a group and go, it's not happening, but be faithful, be consistent, see what happens. But it's not, it's not manufactured, it is discovered. 
It can be in the weirdest times. You, you find someone and you relate with someone and you go, listen, and you, got, you build that relationship and then eventually it's like, hey, like, listen, uh, like Jonathan and David, that kind of that relationship, like I'm in this till the end. Yeah, me too. I'm going to help you even when you're pushing me away. Yeah, me too. There has to be eventually that, that cross from we just kind of know each other to like we know each other. So again, relationships are not, and community is not manufactured, it's discovered. So we will try to do our best to create little pockets and little environments where you can discover it. And when someone says, oh, the church is just too clickish, it's like, yes, yes, like you're in a click too, but it's just probably not here. Like everyone is in part of some, some sort of group where they know each other well. But the point is we, are, are, we have to be welcoming and inclusive at the same time. It has to be come on in. Yeah, we meet, but you can meet too. You can be part of this too. Like, and do, do we really know what we're signing up for again? So number one, we're created for community. Number two, here's the second idea. We are called to community. All right, we are called to community. We'll look at this more, but in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, fellowship, right? This, they are called to it. We are called to it. Do not forsake. We are called to community. A couple quotes for you guys, because I like quotes, and they're good, and they're insightful. Uh, a guy who I will quote probably every week, and you're annoyed of him, is Tim Keller. He says, you can't live, listen, you can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends without a family of uh, believers in which you find a place. You can't. You and I cannot live this Christian life alone. This was not intended this way. Uh, a guy named Eugene Peterson writes a lot about community, and he's a pastor and author, and, and I love how he talks about this. And I want you to hear this idea of our community here. Listen to this. He says, this is so good. I'm just going to throw it up. The biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. Amen? None. There are instead communities of sinners, yes, gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. In these community of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and given a designated responsibility in the community, the pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. Amen? Like this is what the community is. We're going to be the first to say we're we fall so short, but yet we're going to seek Jesus together. We're going to pursue Jesus together. Can I just point something out that just radically has to, and it hit me a few years ago, and, and it, it kind of, as I study this, it kind of hits me again. Sometimes when we talk about salvation, we talk about what we're saved from. Thank God for what he saved us from, right? Thank God that he saved us from hell. Thank God that he saved us from ourselves, from our destructive habits and behaviors. Thank God that he saved me from me. He saved me from the thank, He saved me from so much. But salvation is incomplete if it's only what he saved you from. He also saved you to something. He saved us to himself. So yes, I'm not just saved from hell, but I'm saved to be in relationship with God. But not just that. That's also incomplete if you don't say this. We're not just saved to God and to know God and be with God and walk with God. We're also saved to the family of God. Like, I am, I am born again. I'm a son of God. You are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are born again. We are born into the same family. And so I'm actually saved to a family. I'm actually saved to a community of people to do this with. So we are called to this. We are called to it. We're not just saved from things, we're saved to things, amen? And one of it is to be the church. And this will be hard, and this will be blood, sweat, and tears, but it will be worth it. We are saved to this. You know, in Acts 2.42, again, if you look at it, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And I want to point this out because probably the first, you know, <laughs> Greek word I knew at 12 years old was this word koinonia. Um, we a group at Calvary Costa Mesa were like, everything was koinonia. Like, oh, koinonia coffee. Get your koinonia coffee. Like, everything was just is overused and abused. And it's like, we go to Chick-fil-A, koinonia. Like, no. So the idea of koinonia, and, and let me just even say this, this word fellowship or community or co common unity, it's what we share in con common, and our, what we share in common is way greater than any other community. But this idea of koinonia was not a Christian thought. Let me just point this out. You can actually read Greek writings on, they were looking for koinonia. I love this, what Christians do. They take a word that the world was using and say, it's ours. <laughs> like, they would say, oh, you guys want to talk about koinonia? That's our word, and here's what I mean by that. Koinonia was this idea within Greek, not theology, but Greek thought, philosophy, that there could hopefully be this utopian society that would live together, and regardless of your race, or how much money you make, you're a slave, or you're free, that that would come to an end, in a sense, and you'd find common peace, and yet they had a class system. So they wanted koinonia, and yet they had classes, and they, they had prejudices, and they had this race is over here, this ethnicity is over here, we are better, you are worse, and they had that, and yet they wanted koinonia. And then the church comes along, and it's like, hey, we have koinonia. This, this society you're looking for, that we can come together, regardless of your age or race or gender, how much money you make, don't make. Think about in the early church. The ch early church was one of the only places where a slave and a slave owner could go to church together, and the slave could be the, the pastor of that slave owner. It's mind-blowing. 
I mean, in the early church, that would happen, and, and then eventually you started seeing people be freed from, it was just unbelievable what was happening in the early church. I mean, so much so that this has just made other people furious, just what was happening in the early church, because they were seeing koinonia in a way they'd never seen before. The idea is, how can this person and this person, who are so polar opposite, who have such complete different political views, different views on this lifestyle, how can they also come together and worship together and pray together and cry together and talk together? How does that happen? And you go, Jesus. <laughs> the, our koinonia is based on something so great. So when I say we have this, we share all things in common, or it says that here, we share all things in common, it's hard to like define that because that means all things in common. But here, here, here's a few things really quick if you want. When we talk about our community, our koinonia, here's a, an idea, and this is going to be hard for some of the men. First thing is this, we share feelings, all right? We share feelings. And let me just be clear, write Acts 20, if you write that down, write Acts 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is giving this farewell message to his Ephesian pastors and elders. And he's like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm probably going to be killed there. And he goes, but none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I want to finish my race with joy. I want to testify of the gospel, the grace of God. It doesn't matter. But he's pouring out his heart for all these other pastor men. And he says, as soon as I leave, savage wolves are going to come in from among you, and they're going to try to destroy the church. They're going to try to hurt the church. And he's sharing these things with them, and it says they begin to weep, and they fall on their knees, and they're hugging, and they're embracing. And honestly, I know that might freak us out as men, but that needs to happen in true community. That will happen. Not like it needs to happen and like, make sure you're crying, you know, sit on each other's knees. Like, no, like, that's weird. But like, this will happen by, as a byproduct. Like, honestly, it's, it's, this needs to happen. There will be shared feelings. You know, it's funny, my wife used to do events um, at Calvary, and, and we had a men's event one time, and um, she's like, man, you men cry more than the women's conferences. I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. There's just something funny about that. But you see this in Acts. You see Acts 20, this, this Paul. You see Paul and the Ephesian pastors come together, and they're just weeping and embracing, and there, and there will be this. Eventually, you guys, when we get in our, our group time, it has to be, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? And, like, that gets so draining, right? Like, I understand why people don't go to community groups. It's like, how are you? I'm good. I told you. And, and it's hard. Eventually, you have to get to the point. Eventually, we do have to get to the point where it's like, hey, what, is, what is the, has the Lord been doing in your life recently that has caused you to change? Or we have to be better at asking questions. I have to be better at asking questions. We have to get into to our groups in such a way where it's like, listen, uh, here's, and lead the way in this. This is what God's been wrecking me in my life, and there's what God's growing me. And can anyone, you know, next week ask me about this? Can anyone next week hold me accountable to this? Yeah, and here's what I'm doing. There has to be something more intentionality in this. We share feelings. Number two, our second thought is this. We share things. I mean, is this not what happened? That people are getting saved and like, I'll sell my land, bring it to the church. And other people lied. I'll sell some stuff and say I sold everything and they die. Like you guys know how the book of Acts kind of carries out. But there, there was like this generosity that was mind-blowing among them. There's like, if there's someone in need. And even though we are a small community, I really do believe that we can help meet people's needs within this community. And I really hope that those needs can be made known and no one keeps that to themselves. That first of all, your need has to be made known and that's okay. And we want to come alongside and we want to help. But they shared things. Next, we see this, they shared faith. They shared faith, they, this thing that glued them together. You know, write this verse down. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He talks about uh, not having the sin of unbelief, lest our hearts be hardened. And he says, exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you get deceived by sin and develop a heart of hardness, like a, a hard heart. He, and here's what that word exhort means. Exhort literally is saying, herald, preach. In Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, he says, preach to one another daily. Preach what? Preach the gospel to one another daily. Sometimes I need people to remind me of the gospel. Sometimes I need people to say, Josiah, you've been forgiven of so much, how can you not forgive? Sometimes I need people to hold me accountable to the gospel in a way where I go, thank you, I need to hear that today. We need to preach to one another daily while it's still called today, lest anyone get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You've got to share your faith. You've got to say, listen, I love you, but the gospel says you need to repent. The gospel does not say that you're the victim. It says that you're, you're the oppressor. And that's what the gospel will do, and that's what sharing faith will do. Last thing I want to show this last thing, uh, they'll share time. This one's hard. You'll share time. Like, you can't say, let's meet and let's talk if you never give time for it. And let's just be really clear, right? In life, guys, this is just true. What you value, you will make time for. Like, if you say, like, like remember someone says, I don't have time, I'm like, well, that just means you don't care. Like, be, be more honest. Because the truth is, like, the idea is, like, if I value something, I'm going to clear my schedule for that thing. We're going to share time. I'm going to make this be important to me. I'm going to give you precious time because you're, you're important to me. Some of the time, it's about you. So you see these things they had in common. They shared all these things. So listen, we are created for community. We are called to community. And lastly, what is this about? We are a cross-centered community. We are a cross-centered community. Again, friendship based on friendship is weird and will not last. 
When someone says, let's be friends, you're like, okay, what do friends do? Not this. <laughs> you're like, friendship can't be based on friendship. It has to be based on something. Think about all the friendships you have. It's based on something normally. And we're saying our friendship is based on the cross. Our, our friendship is based on something that will last a long time. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, book, I think it's on the four loves, talks about friendship. And, and when he talks about it, he says, friendship is when you say simply these words, you too. Like, friendship is when you go, oh my gosh, you like that book too? You like that movie too? You like to go there too? You like to do that too? And he says, ultimately, we have such a greater bond because we're saying, you too have been saved by Jesus? You too have been rescued from hell and rescued from yourself? You too? You know, the, the reality is this, and this is weird for us to, to hear this, but I and you have more in common with a Syrian refugee who loves Jesus than an American who does not love Jesus. We have so much more in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world than we do with someone who says, I want nothing to do, God, screw God, screw that. We have so much more in common with that person because they've been, had the same God, same Lord, same faith, same baptism, same, right? Is it not all those things? We have a cross-centered community. That is what our community is about. That's what's going to be centered around. It's not going to be like, let's just make sure we're good for the sake of we're good. We're going to ultimately pushing each other back to the cross. And we went through the book of 1 John recently, but I'm going to read this verse again. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, 1 John 1, verse 3. John writes, it's up here, perfect. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Here's what John's saying. I'm writing this to you because you can, we have fellowship with God, and you can have fellowship with God. And if you have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with us. The, the idea is this. Before Jesus came and died, I, my relationship with God was broken. There was this break between me and God. Jesus, this great, great mediator, comes down, and he bridges the gap between God and man. And because of Jesus, I now have reconciliation with God. And the idea is, we are now reconciled to God together, and we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And there is this great bond and unity that we have that we can actually know God and know him together. It's not about just knowing God alone. And again, this needs to be so clear. Because if God says it's not good for you to be alone and you're knowing God alone, that's not good. God and Adam had, were in paradise together. No sin. Like beauty. Like animals are speaking to you. You're eating fruit. Like it's awesome, right? And God's like, it's still not good though. Because this is meant to be, your relation with me is meant to be joined with someone else. That is really interesting to me. Yes, at the end of the day, you and I will stand before God alone and give an account for our life and our sin. But it's crazy that in heaven, it's not just me and God. And in heaven, it's not just you and God forever. In heaven, it's all of us with God. All of the redeemed, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, all gatherings together before God. That is such a cool thought that we are joining with people who've been around for, or who haven't been around for a long time and we'll have so much in common with them because we are rescued and redeemed by the blood of Jesus together. And that is so cool to think that we are joining something so much bigger than this, something bigger than us. And this is what we're saying we're called to community. And, and again, how do we not just say, okay, I'll, we'll talk in heaven. Like, how do we start now? Like, how do we begin now? And, and that is the idea of the church and that's what we're trying to get at. And so just a couple thoughts. I want to share a couple really quick thoughts with you. I was reading that book, uh, the Gospel by J.D. Greer, and he, he has this chapter, and he, he asks this question, he goes, what does a gospel-centered church look like? What does a gospel-centered church look like? Um, or what does a gospel-centered community look like? This is his question, like one of his final chapters. Here's his three points, and I won't, you know, just so you kind of know. He says, in a gospel-centered community, preaching the message of the gospel is the priority. In a gospel-centered community, you must preach the message. And people go, no, it's about leaving it out. Guys, the gospel is where, it's, it's declaring what Christ has done. When someone's, and I, I understand this, this St. Francis of Assisi quote is, is, is good, but it's not great. You know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. The truth is you have to use words. The truth is you have to tell people, here who Jesus is, here's what he's done for you and for me. You have to use words. No one's going to be like, oh my gosh, you were so, you, thank you for picking up that trash for me. I know that Jesus is sinless and he died on my cross. Like, they're not going to know the gospel. Like, you've got to preach, you've got to say words. Number two, in a gospel-centered community, the emphasis of the message is more on what Christ has done than what we are to do. Know that that's what we're going to do here that we're going to emphasize more, hey, here's what Christ has done on our behalf. We will get to what to do, but that stems out of what Christ has done for us. And we never want to reverse the order. Can I tell you, when you read the book of Ephesians, it's, there's this idea, and I'm not going to over, I don't want to overwhelm you right now, but it's, I love, in Ephesians, there's two words that are important. There's indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are saying, here's who Christ is, here's what, it's telling you what you are. It's telling you your identity, and imperatives are telling you the commands. Before Ephesians ever says to do something, it says, um, you and I are new creation in Christ. You're saved by grace. It's telling you who you are. Then it says, out of that, do these things. 
So we're always going to focus on what Christ has done and out of that what to do. And lastly, in a gospel-centered community, the members demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in community. In a gospel-centered community, the members of the gospel can demonstrate the gospel in community. So not just within our, ourselves. The point of that is saying we're going to go out. So in a real true community that's about Jesus and the gospel, we can't just be like, oh, this is great. I love that. I get to have someone to pray with. Eventually, it needs to be like, we got to go to people who don't know Jesus. Eventually, it has to be like, it can't, if it dies here, it's, if it dies here, it dies here. It stays here. We need to let this keep flowing and going. We need to go out. And so for us, when we say, when we experience life together, next week is mission because they go hand in hand. And I, I'm going to share this next week, but there's a quote I love. It says, community without mission is cancer. When all you do is ask how you're doing, but you never ask how are they doing, that's cancerous. So we're going to have to go out. So we're a community that's outward looking. Now, if you guys remember, this is our third value. So just to be really clear, this is our third value, community. We experience life together. That is our third value as a church. Now, I shared this before, but every value, we've kind of written up three plumb lines, like three ways on how we want to, to, to live this out. So what I mean by that is this. A plumb line is a weight that hangs where you, try and tr- where you find true vertical. And the idea of a plumb line is we can say we want to be about community, but how do we know we're about community? So here's three ways we know we're about community. We'll throw them up here. It does mean we're going to pursue it. We're going to pursue authentic community. Like we're going to fight for it. We're going to look for it. We're going to be like the book of Acts. We're going we're to pursue it. Not just talk about it, but we're going to seek to be involved with it. Number two, we're going to live generously. You know people are in community when you're generous. You know, I work for four kids of South Florida. Like that's what I do to, you know, eat. And uh, so I work for <laughs> four kids, and I, I get to meet with pastors in the area. And I get to talk to them and hear their story. I met with this one pastor, and I loved it. He, he said this to me. He goes, there's certain values I live by personally. And he goes, I share that with my leaders and my church, what my values are. And he goes, and one of them is generosity. And he said, this is how I communicate it. Um, if someone's not going to be generous, they're going to be uncomfortable because we're going to be generous. We're going to see a need and go, how can, we, how can we give? How can we love? How can we support? What can we do? And if you're only on the receiving side, you're eventually going to feel like, wow, maybe I should, I've received so much, maybe I should give. You know, Paul's last words in Acts 20 to his elders, he quotes Jesus and says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why are those his last words? Why does he end with, hey, elders, give yourself out. Pour yourself out. Give your time. Give your money. Give your energy. Give, give it. Give. It's way, you're going to get way more filled in the process. And it's not something we talk about very often, but it's one of those things where we will give to God. We will give to his church. We will give to his community. People get weirded out by the idea of a tithe. Like, tithe, that's Old Testament. And I go, yeah, you know what? If, if the Old Testament was 10%, how much more to the gospel of grace? Tithing is not, it's not the ceiling. It's the floor. For us, we're going to say, we're going to be a part of this. We're going to give to this. And not just, not just that, but how can we go above and beyond? And this has been a weird season of life for my wife and I. Weird season of life. And I'm not trying to do this, and I really hope this has not come across the wrong way. But God has been stretching us to be more generous in a season where it's hard to be generous. But you feel like we've got to do this, and then you feel like, I'm thankful we're doing this. It might be a little bit harder, but you go, it's so much more rewarding when, it's, when it is harder. When it is harder to give, it's so much more rewarding. Because it actually was a sacrifice, and you actually feel the weight of that, and you go, God, and thank you, because you, you gave a sacrifice. You gave something that was way harder to give. And, and you feel the weight of that. And the other thought is this. We'll start at home. When I say community, and this is where I need you guys to hold me accountable, we want to start at home. I want to start with my family. I want you to start with your family. How do you build genuine community with your family? How do I do it with my family? How do I help talk to Micah about the ways of God on a consistent basis and say, hey, this phone call coming from this person at our church is going to come later. Hey, honey, I love you so much. This is going to come later. It's hard. And it's going to be hard for you at times, but it's going to be worth it. Does that mean you say no to everyone because then again, then it kind of negates everything and you're not a part of the community anymore. But, but the point is you're going to start at home. That First Timothy says, if I can't take care of my, my family, I can't take care of the house of God. So when we say we're going to be a community about this, we're going to say, please start at home. Please, maybe you need to start with your family members, your friends, your siblings, your cousins. Like, maybe you need to start at your home, like literally the house you live under, where you can say, let's, get about, let's become a community about Jesus. And now let's invite other people to be a part of this community about Jesus. Amen? Here's a couple last questions I have for you just to, like, to think on, all right? Nothing crazy, but just a few last-minute questions, all right? Because we're talking about community and how do we do this and this out. Let me just ask you guys some of these questions, and you can throw the first one up. Who knows the real you? So who, who really does know the real you? Do we all know the facade version, the social media version, where it's like, oh, they're like a good guy, I think. Like, who knows the real you? Like, who knows the things that you can just, just open up and pour your heart out to? Another way of saying it is this. Uh, do you have people in your life that you can express your thoughts and questions to without fear of looking like an idiot? And this is so important. There has to be people I can say, I have a question for you about, I have a question for you about this personal thing. This is going to be weird, but who, who else am I going to ask, Google? Like, I got to ask the church, right? 
Like, do you, and if without fear of them going, why would you ask that question? What is your heart? Without like, hey, thank you for asking that. I love that you asked that. Do we have people like that? Uh, have you given anyone in your life an open door to point out sins in your life? Have you ever been a person who say, hey, I just want you to know that at any point in time, if you see something in me, you can share that with me. And when they do, you, you thank them and they'll go, I can't, I can't believe you shared that. Like, do you have that? Number four, do you have anyone who can, encourages you consistently? And it should probably be the same person. They should probably do both. But do they encourage you? Do you have a group of people, not just one, maybe multiple? Uh, do you discuss scripture consistently with a group of people and then apply that scripture immediately? This is the idea of community. Do you discuss scripture? So we're going to talk about this for us. But on our, in our community groups, we're going to take the weekend message and say, now let's talk about it and apply it in the groups. Because the danger, I think, in the church is, I heard a sermon this week on this. I heard a sermon this week on this. I heard a sermon on this week on this. And you hear 20 different things and you apply nothing. And so for me, it's like, let's just make it easy. Whatever we hear, let's take in homes or Panera or Starbucks, wherever we meet, let's take it there, let's discuss it, and then let's apply it immediately and together. And so we're going to make our groups based off this time together so we're not hearing 25 different things and applying nothing. Amen? All right, keep going. <clears throat> Do you, uh, are you the type of person that will listen and consider when other people are speaking? Are you the talker? Or are you, are you, does God need to grow you in listening, basically? Where you realize the best way I can serve my brother or sister here is by listening. This is the best way I can serve them right now. I'm just going to listen. Uh, keep going. Sorry, these questions are great, right? <laughs> Do you... Do you do life with people <clears throat> from all different types of backgrounds. This one's huge. This is huge. It can't just be, oh, we're all 18 to 22, and this is great. Like, how, how does it be more than that? How do we, and also it can't just be, oh, we're 60 to 70, this is great. Like, how do we actually have different backgrounds, ethnicities, gender? Like, how do we do that? And that, that would be our hope, is that we'd have people of all sorts of ages and types, and I'll keep going with this. Uh, do you have this type of community in your life? That's the last question. Do you have this type of community in your life? So, so what we just described, what we just talked about, do you have that? Are you, are you that? Not just, again, do we go to church, but do we function as the church? That is the hope of this. So here's what we are, we are going to do today. We're going to end with a little bit early. We're not going to close with worship. I'm going to share some practical things about our groups really quick, just so you can kind of know and be aware. I just mentioned it, but we will take the weekend message and apply it in our groups throughout the week. That is our hope. That We, want, we might have certain groups that specialize sometimes, but we'll, as for the most part, try to focus on the weekend and, and take it home. Next is this. Our groups just practically are going to run five months on and one month off. So we're going to have groups January through May. Take off the month of June. Travel and your family. Breathe again. Get filled. Like, so our leaders can. And then we're going to start in July and go through like November. Take off Thanksgiving, Christmas. So five months on, one month off. Makes sense? That's kind of how we want to rotate that. Another thought is this. I've never been in a community group that has last forever. I don't think anyone here has. Usually your community changes, and that's okay. And be okay. let me just say this, please be okay with that. If you have a group of six or seven or eight people, eventually you should say, hey guys, what if we were to cut this group in half from eight or ten people to four or five people, become two different groups, and now our four or five can become eight or ten again? Our whole point is we want to divide and conquer. I want to have a community group of people where I go, hey, I hope that you're a leader in a year from now. Or I hope that you're a co-leader. Or I hope that you're owning different aspects of this group. It might not be the leading thing. It might just be like, I hope you're part of this in a deeper way or part of that one. We split off so we can divide and conquer. That's kind of our hope is to continue, continue that, keep it going. Because again, I've had, I'm thankful for the different men and women in my life who've, who've spoken into me at different points in time where I've needed that. And it's never been one, it hasn't been one person forever. Jesus was, was with the disciples for three years. It's not one person for 40. So it's going to take different forms and shapes, amen? So here's what I want to point out to you really quick, then we'll be done. We have six groups. That's what we've got right now. We have six groups. We're hoping to have an added seventh or eighth potentially, but can we throw up the groups? Oh, great pictures of people, right? Uh, we'll just start with not mine, or not Kimber's. Um, so we have Emily's group. Yay, Emily! Emily's back there. We're going to have our leaders, just so you guys know, in the back afterwards, but we'd love for you to meet them. We have different groups on different nights of the week. You see Emily meets at Starbucks, the Promenade on Tuesdays. Uh, Mike and Angel meet Mondays at the Starbucks on Federal. Uh, so they're going to be meeting Monday nights. This will be a group that's for couples specifically. Just want to highlight that. This will be for couples that are dating, engaged, or, or married. They literally wrote a book on marriage, so hopefully, they, yeah, I think they have a lot of advice in 20 years of marriage, an awesome couple. Um, Kimber, my wife, can we give it up for Kimber? Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> She's married to me. That's so hard. Um, Kimber's group is Monday nights at Starbucks and Margate. Uh, we, these are all online. You can check this out. I just want you to kind of hear this because you might go, this is near me. That's why I'm doing this. Because you might go, I'm two minutes from that. I'm like five minutes from that. Next page. Three more groups. We have Silver's group who's going to meet 7 o'clock on Starbucks. Starbucks is very popular, uh, especially the promenade one. 7 o'clock, group, his group. My groups meet Mondays at that same Starbucks at 7 o'clock in the promenade. Juan's group's going to meet at Panera, a different place, on Tuesdays at 7.30. Um, 
these groups are online. And the hope is to make it easy, friendly. We, this happens a lot in life. You're like, that took too long. I'm never showing up again. Like, okay, we're going to try to make it as easy as possible. Just go to groups, click on it, register. They'll get an email. They'll call you. Say, we're so glad. Come to my group. Here's where we meet. We would like to add more to this as the Lord leads and his timing. But right now, this is the, this are, these are the people we spend a lot of time with. And we hope that, we can, that, that they can just invest in you what God has invested in them. And so we want to take this throughout the week as best as we can. So my hope is to actually say, let's end early. We have dandy donuts, because what's community without donuts? In the back, uh, with that table with computers, we would love for you guys to sign up. We would love for you guys to be part of community. But again, we know this is not the answer. We're just trying to create an environment where you can discover community. Amen? So here's what I'm going to do. Listen up. Before I pray, because we're going to be dismissed, but before I pray and let you guys go, a couple little fun announcement things you should know about. This Wednesday, January 10th, all right, so this Wednesday, at 4Kids, the place where we work, they've given us this meeting space. We're going to do a volunteer training for anyone who wants to serve or who currently serves. So, uh, if you're like, you know, I would like to get involved and I would like to hear more about this. We're going to do a volunteer training at the 4Kids building on Cypress Creek Road. Again, this is on our website. Or you can check this out, but at Cypress Creek Road, for those who currently serve and want to serve, we'll have worship, a little devotion, and break off in their teams. We'd love for you to be a part of this. If this is something you'd like to be a part of and help in that capacity, that is this Wednesday at 4Kids at the 4Kids building. Also, I want you guys to know this. Next week, we're finishing our last value on mission. We're going to talk about, like, the, we want this to be the year of mission for us, to look for one person to reach for Jesus. And then the week after, January 21st, we're starting the Gospel of Mark. Not that it, like, this weird to even communicate it this way, but it's like our launch day. We're trying to say, hey, community, we have things a little more organized for your kids so they can come and enjoy service. We've been here now for a few weeks. We kind of get the setup of it. We're starting the Gospel of Mark together. We want to take a year and just talk about Jesus and focus on the life and ministry of Jesus. And so that will be starting January 21st, and then we're going to have a picnic right after, January 21st at Quiet Waters Park. So at 1 o'clock, we're going to have a picnic at, uh, I think it's Kestrel Shelter. I think it's, I was also told it's Shelter, too. Um, but we're gonna ha- we have a shelter there. We're going to meet there uh, exact, like, right after service, 1 p.m. on January 21st, our launch day, have a picnic. If you guys would like to bring something, please do. We'll provide the burgers and hot dogs. Uh, please bring something if you can. We're not going to have a sign-up sheet because that's crazy. Uh, but please try to bring something you can. Again, we'll provide the main dish and just have a lot of fun. Cool? Just want you guys to know, be aware. Our hope, again, is to create uh, environments where we c- a community can happen and deep relationships with Jesus can happen. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Go get a donut. Only if you sign up. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the fact, God, that you've welcomed us into your community. God, this is so much bigger than groups. This is the fact that we are now part of the family of you. God, that you will call us sons and daughters is beautiful. And Lord, I just ask for everyone who feels maybe lonely or isolated, don't know anyone, it can still happen here in a smaller community. So Jesus, let them be intentional. Let us be intentional about reaching out. And God, when we fail, let us be quick to forgive. And let's be quick to show repentance as well. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you led the way for us. And we hope we can now just carry this out in your wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Grab a donut if you sign up. Love you.